the the old old story and i don't know if you ever think about the words of songs as you sing them i hope that you do it makes all the difference in the world um, but I, I love the line that says that those who know it best are hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest and the reality is if you know the gospel of jesus christ and if you have experienced the salvation that the gospel brings that story does not grow old I remember hearing a preacher say a few years ago that a lady had, had called him aside right after a Sunday service, and uh, she said, I figured you out. I know what you're doing. And he didn't really know what she was talking about. So he says, okay, tell me what I'm doing. She says, I, mean, I just know it. And I've, I've pinned you down. It doesn't matter what passage of scripture you preach. You're going to preach, and you're going to explain the text. And every single time, you're going to find a way to make it connect back to Jesus and preach the gospel. <laughs> he just threw his hands up and says, you got me. <laughs> Because it doesn't matter what the passage is, it doesn't matter uh, what part of the scriptures we look to, it all relates to that one overarching story that though man is dead in trespasses and sins, God loves sinners and sent Jesus to die for our sins and to rise from the dead so that we could be saved. And so we pick up where we've left off in Ephesians 2 with verse 11. And it's a therefore, right? And, and anybody who's ever spent any time really studying the Bible, here's the thing you need to remember. That when you see a therefore, you need to think, what is this therefore, right? You don't just start there. You've got to look back at what happened prior. And so this section repeats this pattern that we've seen already in Ephesians of looking at who you were versus who you are. He started off in chapter 1 with who you are in Christ and, and all these spiritual blessings that we have in Him. And then at the end of that chapter, he prayed that God would give us eyes to see and that we may know these things uh, that Christ has done. And then you get into chapter 2, what we've looked at just in the last couple of weeks. He goes and looks at where we were before we knew Christ. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You walked after the course of the world. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. You followed after the lusts of your flesh. You fulfilled the desires of your flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath. That's who you were. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He did what? Made us alive together with Christ. So He looked at who we were before we knew Christ, dead in trespasses and sins, what Jesus has done in dying for our sins and rising from the dead, and then who we are now that we're in Him. We are alive. We're seated with Him in the heavenly places. And so he, speak, he, he picks up and does that all over again in verse 11 through 22, looking again at who we were, what Christ has done, and who we are. But this time he speaks specifically of the reconciliation between God and mankind in Christ. And then he looks at the reconciliation of diverse people in Christ. But it be begins with this command to remember. Verse 11 there, he says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh... And so for everything else that we look at for the rest of this chapter and in the rest of this passage, I want you to keep that command in mind, that command to remember. That's what this has to do with the old, old story. Because we're so prone to forget. I read just this morning in Psalm uh, 103 
Psalm, David said this, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. And though some of us, and many of us, I would say, have experienced that, we've experienced that forgiveness, that new life that we've received in Christ, how often do we forget? How little bearing, how little weight does it actually carry in our lives? And so Paul comes around, and even though he's already preached this, who you are and who you are, who you are and who you are, he comes around again and he says, therefore, remember, you who were Gentiles in the flesh. And he he uses language of circumcision here. He says, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. This is just how Jews and Gentiles, or Jews referred to themselves and to Gentiles. That was the sign that set them apart in the flesh. That circumcision showed that they were part of God's covenant people. And they looked on the Gentiles, then they called them those who were of the uncircumcision, was the title they gave. As those who were outside of their camp. They were outside of the people of God. And when you get to the book of Acts and the gospel is starting to spread beyond Israel and starting to go out even to the Gentiles, beginning in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. Gentiles begin to believe the gospel and they start receiving the Holy Spirit just like the Jews have received the Holy Spirit when they believed the gospel. And there's some questions that arise and some Jews say, well, listen, we've had God and we've had the Bible all this time. And now you guys are believing the gospel and you're receiving the Holy Spirit. Now you have to come in and join us and you have to keep our laws too, the laws of Moses. You've got to be circumcised. And, you know, the Gentiles, they say, hold up, I don't think that's right. And so they take it to the the apostles. And in Acts 15, you've got what we know as the Jerusalem Council, where they bring that question up. Do these people have to follow the law of Moses when they believe? And they come to the conclusion that this, that God has given his spirit to all who have believed in Christ, not just to the Jews, and that works of the law and circumcision, namely, has nothing to do with whether or not a person is born again. So no, these people don't have to be circumcised. And all the Gentile men said, praise God by grace alone. And so now Paul is addressing this here in Ephesians chapter 2. He's, refer- he's referencing the Gentiles, and that refers to any of us who were born outside of Israel, outside of the family of the Jews, those who didn't grow up under the Mosaic law. Here in Ephesus, he says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Verse 12, he tells some things that we need to remember about who we were. He says that you were... At that time, without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a sad situation. Because the first thing he says there is that you were without Christ. Now, everything in Ephesians so far, and and even going forward in Ephesians, he's talking about the privileges, the blessings, who we are, our identity in Christ. He speaks of being chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Being redeemed by His blood in Christ. We've received the Spirit and the assurance of the Spirit in Him. But before, when you were just Gentiles in the flesh, 
Before you knew Christ, you were not in Christ, but you were without Christ. You did not have the spiritual blessings. You did not have all these things that God has given. You had no Messiah. You had no King. He says that you were without Christ. He says that he says being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Essentially, you weren't citizens of the people of God. God had chosen this nation and for thousands of years they've, they've lived as his people. Unfaithfully for much of that time, but they've been the people of God nonetheless. God has shown his grace and his love to this nation. And he says, you Gentiles, you were all outside of that. You were aliens. You were not citizens of the people of God. You didn't have their king to claim. You didn't have the law. You didn't have all the blessings that God had given to Israel. You were outside of all of that. He says, you were strangers from the covenants of promise. As Gentiles in the flesh, outside of the people of God, you have no promises to claim. God had made all kinds of promises to the Jews. He promised them land. He promised them priesthood. He promised them this ongoing family line. He promised them the new covenant. Oh, we love that passage, don't we? He says, I'll write my law on your hearts. I'll remove from you that heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. That's the internal change that we all need. None of us can make it to God on our own. All of our hearts are corrupt. We all dishonor him with our minds and with our mouths and with our hearts and with our bodies. And we need new hearts. We need to have that old heart of stone removed. We need to be given a heart of flesh. But you know that promise was given to Israel. And as Gentiles in the flesh, outside of Christ, you have no promises to claim. You don't have the promise, I will give you a new heart outside of Christ, outside of the people of God. He says you were hopeless. He says having no hope. That's a hopeless state to be living in the flesh and there being the judgment to come for our sins. Nothing in ourselves, nothing in our own power that we can do to fix ourselves or to make ourselves right with God. It is such a hopeless situation. He says you are hopeless and without God in the world. That without God there, it's, it's one word in Greek. The word for God is theos, but this word is atheos. It's, it's the original atheist. People who are without God. And it's not that there are people in the world who, who just you either believe in the true God or you believe in no God at all. But if you believe in any God besides the true God, essentially you're an atheist. You are without God in the world. And that phrase, in the world, that's the opposite of being in Christ. We have blessings, we have safety, we have security, we have our identity in Christ if we've been born again. But he says before that, remember who you were. You weren't in Christ, you were in the world. Now, even if you were in the church before you knew Christ, you were still in the world because you lived after the lust of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath. And friends, it does us good to remember who we were. It does us good to remember where we've come from. Nobody likes people who are prominent, who have made a name for themselves, who forget where they came from and they're jerks about it, right? I was reading just yesterday, actually, how many of y'all remember Harry Truman? Anybody around back then? Not me. It's the only thing I know about is what I read in books. Uh, but it sounds like he was a pretty nice guy. I don't know. I mean, he may not have been. He may have been a terrible person. Um, 
But he, he sort of lived with this mentality that even though he had come to the point of being the president of the United States of America, he didn't want to forget where he came from. And so he refused to use the buzzer on his desk that called for an aid. He would get up and walk to the door and go ask somebody to come help him if he needed it. And on one occasion, a pianist came to do a performance at the White House, and, and he was ready to perform, but he needed somebody to turn the pages for him on his music. And he asked if someone would help, and the president himself said, I'll help you, and came and stood by the piano and turned the pages for this pianist as he played the music. How much more? Friends, listen. <laughs> if you are in Christ, you have a far greater position than the president of the United States. And if a man who is who has ascended to the position of the president of the United States can say, I don't want to forget where I came from and where I'm going back to when I'm out of office. How much more should Christians remember where God has brought us from? Without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, hopeless without God in the world. Friends, that's who you were. Remember that. Don't forget it. Because it makes the good news that much sweeter. That's who you were, but then we need to remember also what Christ did. Now, in, back in chapter, or in the same chapter in verse 4, after he goes through that whole list, what does he say there in verse 4? Those two words, but God. You get to these verses, verse 11 and 12, he talks about who we were before we knew Christ, and you get to verse 13, and he says, but now. That's who you were then, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, here's what Jesus did. We know who we were, but what Christ did is he gave us peace through his blood. He says, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off. That was how rabbis usually referred to Gentiles and those who were outside of the people of God. Those who are far off. Those people who were Jews who were born under the covenants of promise and who had the law. They were near. They were near to God. So they said. But he says, you who didn't even have these benefits, you, you who were far off, you who had no access to God, have been brought near. Now that's a passive verb, right? Did you do it yourself? Did you just decide one day, I'm going to come near to God? No, you have been brought near God's action, God's work in Christ. You have been brought near. You are in the family now. You have been brought far from him to being near him by God's action, by his grace, by his own will, by the blood of Christ, he says. It was through the death of Jesus that we who were far off away from God were be able to be brought near to him. What can wash away my sin? Two of you know the song. Good. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's try the second part of that verse. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, oh. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The other song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose what? All, all their guilty stains. Friends, 
You've heard it said before. I don't know how God takes a heart that is black and dirty with sin, washes it in red blood, and somehow it comes out white as snow. I have no idea how that happens. But that's what God did for you when you were born again. You who once were far off have been brought near, not by your own effort, not by anything you could achieve, but by the blood of Christ. That refers to his death. His death in your place, that substitutionary atonement, in that when he laid down his life and, and, and died on the cross, he bore the wrath, he bore the punishment that you and I deserve. He made payment for our sins with his own blood. And he himself, verse 14 says, is our peace. You see, when we're far off from God, we are at enmity with God. We are at war with God. Everybody likes to talk, sometimes I shouldn't say everybody, some people like to say that we're all God's children. And in the sense that he created us, we are. But friends, if you have not been born again, if you are still far off from God, you are not his child, you are his enemy. His wrath is set upon you. There is judgment to come. But you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He has made peace. That's reconciliation. You've got enemies who are now reconciled by the blood of Jesus. We owed a debt. We couldn't pay it. Jesus stepped in and did it for us. And now we can be reconciled to God. We can call him our father. He has made peace. Now, let me say this just as an aside for you Christians who don't feel at peace. Now, sometimes Christians can let the, the, the thoughts of the flesh and, and, and the thoughts that the devil can give of doubt and fear creep in and think, well, I've got to do something to really keep up this relationship with God. He, you know, if he's probably not happy with how I'm doing right now. And, and you just think that you're still at war with God. You wouldn't say that, but that's how you feel. Friend, let me tell you, if you have been washed by the blood of Jesus, if you've been born again, if you were far off and you've been brought near, you are at peace with God. Jesus himself is your peace. You might not feel like you have peace right now. You might not be living in that peace, but you need by faith only to lay hold of that promise that in Jesus you are at peace with God. He is your peace. He himself is is our peace. He gave us peace through his blood and he united us with diverse believers. Look at verse four, the rest of verse 14. He says, he himself is our peace who has made both one, both what? Both groups of people. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles, the thought of them being made one of anything would have been repulsive to the Jews. The Gentiles would probably have looked at these stuck-up people who thought they had it all together, and the Jews would have looked at these pagans that don't have anything to do with God and they're unclean. But Jesus, being our peace, has made both one, he says, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now, he's speaking figuratively here, but in the temple, there literally was a wall. Even Gentiles who wanted to worship the true God and who had converted, in a sense, to follow the God of Israel, even they had their own court in the temple. There was literally a wall they couldn't go past. If you're a Gentile, yes, you can worship God. You can come into the temple this far, but no further. Now we, since we're, you know, we're blood, we were born into this, we can go in a little further. But you've got to stay here outside this wall. But Paul says that Jesus 
in shedding his own blood and making peace for us, has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. There is nothing any longer that distinguishes Jew and Gentile in Christ. And how did he do that? Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the thing that stood between Jews and Gentiles, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That is, the law of Moses. That's the thing that separated Jew from Gentile. Jews had the law of Moses. Gentiles did not. So Jesus comes along and he, the New King James says, abolishes it. Essentially, he just renders it of no effect. He fulfilled it. He kept it. Jeez, even the Jews who had the law didn't keep it perfectly. But Jesus comes along and lives his, his life totally sinless, fulfills the law, keeps every part of it without fail. And in fulfilling the law and then dying for sins as the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, abolishes the law. He fulfilled it, rendered it of no effect. And so now the thing that stood between Jew and Gentile is gone. It's removed. That barrier exists no longer. And both are made one in Christ. He says, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that in himself is the key. It's only as they are in Christ. God takes these two separate things, these Jews and these Gentiles, and now he creates something new. And Jews who believe in the Messiah and Jesus who died for their sins, and Gentiles who believe in Jesus who died for their sins and rose from the dead, they are made one new thing. They're neither Jew nor Gentile anymore, but now they're what? They're Christians. They're part of the church. That's who you are now that you're in Christ. And that wall that stood between the two is gone. Now let me make a quick application here. Whatever distinctions there are among people in the world today, whatever diversities we may have, all those things are rendered useless, of no effect. They're invalid in the church because we are all of one body and one spirit in Christ. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the, the, your, your language of origin. It doesn't matter your cultural differences. It doesn't matter your musical preferences or anything like that. All those things are an aside. All those things are abolished in Christ because in Him we are now one. There is nothing that distinguishes us. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I hope you all like that. I do. It's good. He gave us peace through his blood. He united us with diverse believers. He says in verse 16 that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And then he preached peace to those both far and near. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to, the, to you who were far off and to those who were near. So the gospel needed to go not only to Jews. It needed to go to Gentiles. The gospel did not only need to go to Gentiles. It needed to go to the Jews. One could probably easily look at the other and point the finger and say, they need that. They need that. But the reality is, both those far and near need the gospel. They need to be made at peace with God because the Jews who had the law couldn't keep it. They had made themselves enemies of God because they were breaking His law. And the Gentiles had no law at all, and they were at enmity with God because they lived like pagans. 
But regardless of whether they were considered far off or considered near, both needed to have the gospel of peace preached to them. And that's what Jesus did. He came and in his earthly ministry, he preached preached to the Jews. He said, I've come to preach to to the sheep of the lost house. I've lost my words. I'm sorry. I've come to preach. (laughs) It's gone. I'm sorry. Those of the house of Israel. He preached to the Jews. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's the phrase that couldn't find its way off my tongue just then. He said, I came to preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then he dies for sins. He rises from the dead. And the gospel spreads to those in Israel. But then it doesn't stop. The gospel spreads further. And it's now preached to the Gentiles. Well, how did Jesus do that? He's gone. Friends, have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit? It's the Spirit of Jesus. And even today, He continues to preach peace to those who are near and those who are far off. If you came to church today to hear a message from Jacob Hall, I'm sorry. If you can't think of anything better to come to church for, that's just sad. Because my message is only valid insofar as it reflects and it proclaims the message of the Word of God and you hear from the Holy Spirit. I hope that when I stand here and I preach to you, you don't hear the words of a mere man. Because if you do, it's useless. You're wasting your time. But if you come, friend, with your heart ready to hear from God, you can hear from God's Word and be preached to by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. And he continues to preach even today. How do I know? Because people are still getting saved today. If it was all on us preachers, would nobody get in? But Jesus is still preaching. The Holy Spirit is still preaching through his word, through men and women who open their mouths to share the gospel and preaching the gospel of peace. And it went to those who were far off and those who were near. And just by a point of application, let me say this. It doesn't matter whether you've lived your life out in the world, in, in indulging in all the sins without a care in the world, or whether you grew up in the church and you've tried to live a clean life. It doesn't matter what your background is. You need the gospel of peace. Because most of us, I would say, at least have some background in church. And we haven't lived totally reckless lives. But friends, that's not good enough. A church background has never saved anybody. Christian parents never saved anybody. Attending church, serving in the church, being on the list of officers and teachers never saved a soul. Baptism has not washed any sins away yet and never will. Friends, what you need, whether you are far off or whether you have been really near your whole life, you need the gospel of peace. You need to know that you're a sinner, that you're on your way to hell, but God loves you and he sent Jesus to die for you so that you could be saved. That's what you need. You need to believe that gospel. So he preached peace to those who were far and near and provided access to the Father by the Spirit. Verse 18, he says, Through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to worry about walls and curtains and rituals to try to get to God and to have some kind of communion with him. But friends, we all, we all, say it, we all have access by one Spirit to the Father. If you have the Holy Spirit, and if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have access to God. Do you make use of that access? Do you spend time with Him in His Word and in prayer? 
Do you commune with your Father in heaven? Friends, that's the benefits that's been given to you in Christ. We all, by one Spirit, have access to the Father. We need to remember where we came from. We need to remember what Christ has done. And we need to remember now who we are. He says there in verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Fellow citizens. We're not outsiders anymore. We don't lack the rights and the privileges of the citizens because now we have been brought into the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. I'm so glad that I'm an American citizen. All the benefits and privileges that come along with that. I'm thankful to live in this country. But this is not my primary residence. Friend, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. Oh, yes, I was once far off. Yes, I was once outside of Christ. But because through his blood he has brought me near, I am now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. All Jews and Gentiles and every other nationality, whoever puts their trust in Jesus is now a citizen of heaven. And we're not just citizens of God's kingdom, but we're members of God's family. He says, with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, we could walk around and look at each other and say, hello, citizen. And that would be awkward because we don't really talk like that. We could refer to each other as fellow citizens of the kingdom of God, and that would be nice. Still a blessing. But even better than that, we don't just look at each other and see fellow citizens, but we look at each other and we say, hello, brother. Hello, sister. Because we are not just citizens of the same country. We're members of the same family. We are brothers and we are sisters in Christ if we've been born again. So we're citizens of God's kingdom. We're members of God's family. We're stones in God's temple. Verse 20 says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You see, God is building a building. We don't rely on an earthly temple anymore because we are now being built into the temple of God. God doesn't come and just manifest himself in a a, a temple on earth and that's where he dwells. And we have to go there to commune with him. Because now we as a body, yes, you individually, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But we collectively are being built up into the temple of God, a place for God to dwell. We read this week in our discipleship groups from 1 Corinthians. We talked about how uh, Paul said he wished that when, when unbelievers would come into your midst, that they would hear what you're saying and see what you're doing and fall down and worship God and say, God is in this place. That you are a people among whom God dwells. Can that be said about Simmons Grove? Can that be said about this congregation, that we are a people among whom God delights to dwell? Whether or not we're living in it right now, whether or not we're experiencing it to the fullest degree, that is what God is doing. It is what God has provided in Jesus. It's founded on the the apostles and the prophets, those who came and laid that early foundation, proclaiming the word of God. We have them written right here for us. The foundation is the word of God, and Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. 
He's the one that holds it all together. He is the head of his church. We are being built on the word of God and on the Lord Jesus Christ, being fitted together. Remember Peter, in 1 Peter 5, he talked about us being living stones, being built together, each one in its place, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Friends, that's who we are. We've got to remember that. And whenever we remember these things, when we remember who we were before we knew Christ, we remember what Christ has done, and we remember who we are, we're remembering the reconciliation that has been provided for us. And remembering our reconciliation does two things. It glorifies God, and it unifies the church. When we remember where God has brought us from, what he has done, and where we are now, man, we're going to give glory to God, and we're going to worship him. You can come in and sing, I love to tell the story, and you can sing it with a smile on your face. Because you know the power of that story of the gospel. It doesn't just glorify God through worship, but it will unify the church. When we remember that those people that we disagree with and people who have different preferences and, and, and the people who, who maybe don't do things exactly like you would like, they're not your enemies. They're your brothers and sisters. You have the same spirit. We have fellowship because we are one in Christ. That's our identity. Whether Baptist is on the sign or Presbyterian or Methodist or non-denominational or whether they don't have a sign at all and they meet in a school. Whatever it is, if they're Christians, if they've been born again, we have the same spirit. Now, are there sometimes things that are come up that are important enough that we disagree? We probably can't go to the same church. That happens. And remember Paul and Barnabas separated over what to do with John Mark. It's sad when that happens. But friends, in, at the bottom line, fundamentally, we are one with Christ. We are one in Christ. And we remember where we've been brought from, who we are now in Christ, and remember that God has done the same for our brothers and sisters around us. It will unify us when the church is built on the Word of God and centered on Jesus Christ.